Welcome to St. James Parish in Wilmington, North Carolina. You can learn more about St. James on our website at stjamesp.org. More and more, I'm coming to believe that lots of the time, wonderful people just like you generally don't want to be asked questions in public, don't want to be called out or singled out or put on the spot, and especially in church. I don't blame you a bit. Here's a simple example from our scripture reading this morning. James asks a question, who is wise and understanding among you? What if I asked all of you who are wise and understanding to please raise your hand? Well, that would make things awkward right away, yes? I'm not sure if I would raise my hand. There's all the understandable feelings. Am I wise? Am I understanding? Am I both? Am I neither? If so, do I want to call myself out with everyone else here? That combination of a little fear and a little embarrassment is how we have been conditioned, and it is real. The thing is, I've only been here a few months, but I can look out right now and I can see so many people who I know are wise, whose understanding I've experienced. It's just the comfort level around being asked a question and then having the confidence to answer it. Last week in our gospel lesson, Jesus asked two questions, which at first glance seemed to be pretty simple. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? With a bit of reflection, we discovered that these two simple questions well, actually, the answers to them are as important and critical as we consider how or even with we follow Christ. We realize there's lots of moments where God and Jesus ask questions, but there's never a moment where they don't already know the answer. Instead, they're challenging the recipient of the question to have the courage and the will and the faith to simply be honest, which is interesting. Because today we see that the disciples, the closest and most faithful followers, are one, afraid to ask Jesus questions, and two, afraid to answer the very question Jesus asks of them. Two times now in the Gospel of Mark, twice, Jesus has shared very openly with his closest followers exactly what was going to happen to him, telling them of his upcoming arrest, his physical suffering, his death, and his resurrection. The thing is, they still don't get it. They don't understand. And I want to be sympathetic to that. After all, what he's telling them is pretty remarkable. These followers had lived their entire lives under the brutality of Rome, the Pax Romana. Every bit of their cultural, their spiritual, their religious teaching has presented one clear understanding of what the new Messiah would look like, a Messiah filled with power, strength and might, who would come in with a big messianic smackdown of Rome and then usher in the return of the glory and the peace that Israel had once known generations ago under King David. Now Jesus is presenting them with a completely new narrative that the true Messiah would have to suffer and then die and that through suffering and death, God's people would find freedom that's the total opposite of everything they'd ever learned. And if they didn't understand, I get it. But here's then the rub 
to me at least, actually there's two rubs. The first, none of them asked Jesus any questions. They didn't ask him to clarify so that they could understand more fully just what he was saying to them. And then second, well, they kind of showed their backsides. And by that I mean their lesser or just more human side. Perhaps some of you remember this one stanza from the movie Jesus Christ Superstar. Always hoped that I'd be a disciple, knew that I would make it if I tried. Then when we retire, we can write the Gospels so they'll still talk about us when we've died. Spot on. The disciples following Jesus of Nazareth were still, more than anything else, worried. They were worried about how they would look, about what folks might say, about their reputations, about their legacy, and Jesus saw that. Turns out, even with all the information he shared with them, they still managed to quietly argue. And Jesus was aware of that. In fact, he couldn't ignore it. So he didn't choose to pull the first century version of the classic parent threat, don't make me pull over. Instead, he waited until they got to their destination. And then Jesus asked his disciples a question. What were you arguing about along the way? Do you remember what I said earlier? There's never a moment where Jesus doesn't already know the answer, but instead is looking to the recipient for courage and will and, and faith simply to be honest. Well, fail. The disciples do not answer his question, none of them. Instead, they are stone-cold silent, embarrassed, I can only imagine, to admit that they were actually arguing about which one of them was the greatest. The greatest. What does that even mean to them? Do you think like a bunch of children they were boasting of which one spent the most time with Jesus? Or maybe which one had performed the greatest miracle? Or, or which one brought the most followers? Or which one was the most popular? We don't really know. What we do know, though, is that Jesus was not impressed. James calls out this same kind of behavior today. We heard it in our reading. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. Jesus saw that. And so he put it to his disciples. All right, he says, whoever wants to be first, whoever wants to be greatest, they must be last. They must be the servant of all. Now, fortunately for them, this wasn't quite as much of the rebuke that Peter got last week with the whole, get thee behind me, Satan, reprimand. But I'm sure this still made a mark on their hearts, mostly because, once again, it was the complete opposite of everything they had ever been taught. And darn it, that's the opposite of what you and I have been taught as well. Greatness, we are trained to understand, implies power, accomplishment, fame, wealth, all of the other things that allow you to do stuff, to wield your influence, to make things happen. And boy, are we hardwired and drawn to that kind of earthly greatness. I bet if I ask each of you to talk about the most, the greatest, the famous, wealthy, accomplished person you've ever met, you'd have a great story to tell. And there's nothing wrong with that in measure. In fact, it's even fun to chat about or to know about, sometimes even to be that person. But my friends, that is not the greatness that Jesus our Christ is talking about today. Not even close. And to drive his point home, he scoops up a young child into his arms and tells everyone listening, 
that whoever welcomes a child like this welcomes him. Now here's a cultural note. To the disciples, to everyone watching, it now feels like Jesus has said something a little cuckoo. In first century Palestine, children were not the center of the universe. Their parents didn't come home from the hospital with that memo that says, this is the most precious gift, make sure you put it in bubble wrap, and never let anything ever bad happen to it. Yes, their parents loved them, but that was it. Culturally, children had no rights, no influence, no standing. They were dependent, vulnerable, powerless. So how in the world could welcoming or even making a fuss over a little child count as being great? That's crazy talk, Jesus. Or is it? Think about it for just a minute. What if Jesus was right? I mean, what if greatness isn't about power and wealth and being famous and all that other stuff? I'm not talking about the bubble wrapping and overindulgence or making everyone else the center of the universe, but consider, what if greatness instead is measured by how much we share with others, how much we take care of others, how much we serve others, and then how the vulnerable and the marginalized are lifted up and made to know that they count, that they are human, that they are loved. What kind of world would that look like? What if our first question of the day was always, how can I be last today so that others can go first? Or even, could I go last this one time and let someone else go first? Maybe, I know, at the stoplight or in the grocery store or the hundreds of other times every day we unintentionally compete for that top spot. What if, instead of all that noise on social media, people went on the internet and said nice things about and to each other? I think that might be a world where you and I were not afraid to ask hard questions of Jesus, and then to use his answers to inform what we mean when we say we are his church. It would be a world where we felt safe answering the questions that he asks of us, even in public, questions such as, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? May we, with our words and our actions, without fear or hesitation or shame or embarrassment, raise our shoulders, look up, as James says, draw near to God, and then answer with confidence and with praise, you are my Messiah. You are my Messiah. My friends, we are here this morning, we are at his church, and we are safe. Are you ready in this moment to answer Christ's question? Can I see a show of hands? Amen.